0: Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am so So excited to have with me as my guest today. And I realized in handing you the book I handed you your bio. (laughs) Chad Gervich. So let me let me give you a little brief on Chad and then we're gonna have you tell us about your bio live. Uh, Chad Gervich is a television writer-producer, best-selling author, and award-winning playwright. He has written, produced, or developed shows for almost every major network and studio in Hollywood, including Ease After Lately, starring Chelsea Handler, Disney Channel's Dog with the Blog, Food Network's Cupcake Wars, and ABC's Wipeout. Chad is the author of a brand new book that I am so beyond excited for people to read because if you have a question in Hollywood, I can guarantee you it will be answered in this book. It is called How to Manage Your Agent, A Writer's Guide to Hollywood Representation. Welcome, Chad.
1: Thanks, Jen. Jen I think I think you should have... Instead of reading this bio, you should have told people like all the like you could have said I've been drunk with Chad in Israel in I know. London. <laughs> exactly. uh, where was all the good stuff?
0: I know my my fellow cohort with TV Writers Summit. Yes, we have we have had many a good time. It has been a blessing. I agree. I I feel very grateful for it, and I'm very excited for our upcoming one in London that we'll tell you about at the end of the podcast. So. Interesting, like, looking at all this stuff that you've done. You've been an executive, a writer, author, a seminar leader, like, everything. Tell me what, where this all started, how you knew you were going to be working in Hollywood, and what inspired you to write a book like this.
1: Well, that is a lot of questions. I know. Um, I know.
0: We'll start with what... Tell me your story of what brought you to Hollywood.
1: Well, I will I say ever since I was little, and I mean like right. three or four or whatever, all I wanted to do was write. It's the right. only thing I ever wanted to do. Oh, and, I
0: love that. Well,
1: when I was little, I used to, uh, like I can remember when I, I I was like a huge fan of this movie, The Black Hole. It was like this old Disney space movie. And I would write my own black hole stories. Right. And Which I guess was like writing my first spec script in a way. Um, and I remember when I was probably like eight or nine years Nine years old, I I was in love with this movie, Escape to Witch Mountain. I
0: totally remember it, yep.
1: And so I wrote my own sequel and then sewed it together like a book and took it up to the library, and they kept it on their shelves. I grew (gasps) up in a little tiny town in Iowa, and our public library kept that book on their shelves for like 10 years. love it. Um, So I always knew I wanted to write, and I came out to Los Angeles for grad school at UCLA after Mm -hmm. I graduated from college Mm -hmm. and uh, have been out here ever since. Um, so I feel like it wasn't, there was no pivotal moment where I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I guess that moment was when I came out, when I was born, I was like, oh, here I am. I'm (laughs) heading to Hollywood.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. I think that's great. So you're very, you get to Hollywood from Iowa, you go to grad school, you get out of grad school. What was your next step?
1: Well, I was lucky. I was super lucky um, mm-hmm. because while I was in grad school at UCLA, they had a mentor program for graduating grad students where they would match you, match up graduating grad students with working professionals in the industry. And I applied. Now, at the time, I got my MFA not in screenwriting or television, but in playwriting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I That's had- That's
0: a great background.
1: Well, yeah. I'll tell you, like, I, I've always loved theater. I would had some plays produced around mm-hmm. the country at various places. And right. at UCLA, I think this is still the case- the playwrights were allowed to take screenwriting classes, but the screenwriters were not allowed to take playwriting classes. Right. And so I was like, well, then I'm going to go into the playwriting program and do them both. Right. So I applied to this mentor program, figuring I was going to get stuck with some po-dunk theater director living in Van Nuys. Right. And instead, I ended up getting as my mentor Warren Littlefield. Wow. A man who at the time was president of NBC. Huge. While he was there, he did... You know, look, he developed and put on the air Seinfeld, Frasier, Will and Grace. Right. Uh, Law and Order. Right. ER. And it was like the best mentor you could possibly get in that right. program. And when I met with him, he was in his last few months as president. He stepped down the summer just a few weeks after I graduated. Uh, and he started the Littlefield Company, which was his production company in partnership with NBC Studios, and hired me as a My title was creative exec, but I was an assistant to his head of talent and development. Right. And, I mean, it was an incredible first job. That is an
0: incredible first job. It was
1: amazing. And he, you know, was just an incredible mentor and boss and we're friends to this day. And so I was, look, on one hand, I was really lucky. Like, I feel like that is an incredibly rare way to get your foot in the door in Hollywood. On the other hand, I think in a way it's, exactly how everybody gets their foot in the door in Hollywood, not through a mentorship that they get through their grad school, but through their own connections and relationships. Right. Um, And so I feel like the lesson coming out of that story is you are never going to get a job in Hollywood because you're the best or because your resume is awesome. You are going to get your first job and your second job and your third job in Hollywood because of who you know. Right. And that's how I got my start.
0: Ah, that's a great story. I love that story. All right. So moving. So when you were there, what did you feel your direction was? Did you feel your direction was, I'm going to go the executive route? No, Writing never, route? Never. Definitely. always?
1: Always knew okay. I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say, when I was at UCLA and I was in the playwriting program, I took some screenwriting classes, and I always thought that I wanted to be a movie writer. Right. And then I took these screenwriting classes, and I loved the classes, loved my teachers, and did not have any fun writing movies. And I don't know what it was about writing the movies. I just... It just wasn't a rush for me in the same way that it had always been a rush to write a play. Right. And so it was actually Warren who first said to me after reading a couple of my plays, have you ever thought about writing television? And I had never thought about writing television. UCLA didn't have TV writing classes at the time. Right. And I watched TV and had certain shows that I loved, but I had never – I knew there were TV writers, but it had never really occurred to me, oh, I can – Do that. Right. And so Warren said to me, listen, why don't you tell me what your favorite shows are? I'll hook you up with some scripts and some videos, study them, and write your first spec. And so we did that, and I wrote my first two spec scripts. and Which were? uh, Dawson's Creek and a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I read? You read the Dawson's Creek. That's right. You read the Dawson's Creek. (laughs) And at the time—and I will say this. like, I, I haven't read that script in years. And it's probably terrible. No,
0: it was great. Well, I was an executive at Spelling and I brought Chad in for nine hundred two. The final season of nine hundred two The final season, yes.
1: I will say this about that spec. The story in the spec was um, w- w- when I was in high school uh, in my little town in Iowa, there was a, when I it was my s- junior or senior year. And there was a boy who was two years younger than me. Right. And he was actually very good friends with my brother. They had, like, grown up together, and they were very close. And he was captain of the wrestling team. He was on the football team. He was super popular, dating this girl, Diane, who was gorgeous and, like, head of the chair. I mean, they were. he was, like, the part—and everybody liked this kid. Right. And he committed suicide. Oh. And it rocked mm-hmm. the school. And— that was what I wrote that first Dawson's Creek spec about. Yes. And. I
0: remember. I would not have brought you in if I didn't love your script. Well, thank you. So you have to know that.
1: Well, I, yeah. I would like to think that now I'm <laughs> yes. a much better writer. Yeah, but of that course. script always sticks with, with everything me.
0: everything you write, you get You become better. better.
1: Yeah. But I still think of that script, even though it was a Dawson's Creek spec, as being one of the most personal things. Yeah. Um, I've ever written
0: but you know I think I'm sure a part of what resonated with me like when I got the job at spelling before I got the job at spelling when I was trying to think of a way into spelling because I was obsessed with the first year of Two One O. I remember when they did the suicide story with David and I thought they never dealt with the aftermath mm-hmm. of that like there was so much more to deal with and I so wanted to communicate that and and i remember an agent who i had met michael, uh, van oh, Actually, michael van dyke oh michael yes. van dyke yeah. was like let me figure out a way in but then the the interesting thing was my job placement agency is the one who called me with the job at spelling but um it it was fascinating to me like that resonates like i think that's a very key issue To explore. So I think that was a great thing to explore. Well, I remember.
1: What was so amazing about when it happened, because he was, I mean, this kid was so beloved through the school. Right, And, you know, so they had counselors set up to talk to kids, to to students, and school was let out at half days, like every day that week, because people were so upset, and they had a memorial service at the school, and we all went to the funeral, and I mean, it was... I mean, it was obviously a huge tragedy. Yeah. But then a few months later, another kid who – I can't remember this kid's name who had not been popular. Right. Most people probably would never have noticed him in the hall. He committed suicide Wow. by, like, sniffing Scotchgard or something and killed himself. Wow. It was a mention in the morning announcements, and that was it. Wow. No counselors in the school. No,
0: isn't fast.
1: Memorial services, and it was just—I mean, these guys were like the same age, right? They both had their lives ahead of them. Like one is not a bigger tragedy than the other. I mean, not yes. that there's a lesser bit, but I mean, they were, yes. it was both horrible, and it was just like
0: so that when on you have life radar. moments like that, that's a that's worth exploring, yes, and understanding and writing. Like I have to say, the last couple of days, and then we'll jump back into things. But the last couple of days. our our, since when it happened with Philip Seymour Hoffman I mean I'm just like trying to understand my own emotions because I feel so angry that somebody so talented was taken from us and I I feel so helpless in in understanding my own emotions like I'm like it was way too soon yeah well how, how how did that happen and you know, there was still so much more he was supposed to do, just like Tony Soprano. So it was like having these two icons in this short amount of time where you're trying to make sense of it. I think though, that's what you explore in writing.
1: Yeah. You yeah. know,
0: that's what you, you do. And, I mean, you knew those people, so that's the difference. But with these guys, we feel like we know them. You know, so we, we you know, they they entertained us. And they, you know, so it it is, I think, all of that, like I... I the idea that they're now investigating the guy I thought oh my god what is it to be the guy who's in the shoes who sold the heroin to Philip Seymour Hoffman I mean how what what is that reality like you know what I mean So I think there's gonna be a lot of story that's gonna cuz those kind of moments are what inspire you know they 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 inspire because people want to understand why am I feeling the way that I do um Okay, so your first agent. Now we went, in, we jumped into your spec scripts. Or at what point did you get your first agent?
1: Well, um, fairly early, mm-hmm. because Warren had passed along those spec scripts. Great. To a man, that was a good
0: person to have. passed Oh my along God! Your like it was
1: just ridiculous. Yeah. He had passed them along to a guy named Jeff Harris, who right. headed NBC's story department, which I don't think they have anymore. But it was like a department kind of like Writers on the Verge. It was designed to find new writers, but it wasn't a program and a class and as structured and sophisticated as right. the studio writing programs they have now. Right. And Jeff was a former writer and passed my scripts along to his old agent, a guy named right. Michael. Right, And uh, Michael read them and signed me, and he was my first agent. Right. Um, and he's the one who sent you the Dawson's Creek spell.
0: I love it. Yeah. That is great.
1: So it was all very, honestly, it's just it's like I owe it all to UCLA's mentor program in Warren. Okay, that's good.
0: But that's good for people to know, to understand connecting those
1: dots. Absolutely. None of that would have happened if I hadn't known those
0: people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. If you hadn't known, exactly. And I realized I just called James Gandolfini Tony Soprano. I was going so to call is- you
1: out on that, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to embarrass you on your own podcast be like, "You know Tony Soprano's not a real guy, right?" I called him by Like his when they're chopping name. people See, up. That doesn't how actually I feel like happen.
0: I know him. I feel <laughs> like I know him. James Gandolfini. That's where you sit there and go, like, Lady Die. Remember when Lady Die? It's like everybody's like, where were you? And you remember where you were. Yeah, I do remember know? where yeah. I was. Totally. Yeah, I completely remember. And the remember. challenger. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is. It's fascinating, those moments. Uh, okay, so your first job in entertainment, after your first staff job, how did that happen? And, and tell us about that.
1: My first real staff job was on a sketch-slash-clip show uh, called Reality Binge mm-hmm. that Fox did on the Fox reality channel and it was this show was a carbon copy of the soup yeah. um, but it was an hour instead of a half hour and we did maybe like a few more bonafide sketches than The Soup was doing at the time, maybe. Right. Um, and that was my first real staff job. Right. And I got that job through one of my agents, um, and they represented the executive producers of that show. Right. And so they had sent over some of my material, and they, the EPs liked it and asked me to do a writing sample, and so I did, and then they met with me and staffed me on that show. And it was a small staff. It was a staff of five, I right. think. Um, and it was a blast. I mean, you know, part of what made it a blast was we were writing these jokes and sketches. Um and, and again it was just like the soup where we were making fun of clips and segments on different shows and then we would have sketches and bits. Um but we were on the Fox reality channel, which nobody watched. Right. And so we were able to kind of get away with stuff and try stuff that we never would have been able to get away with and try. Right. If we'd been on a network that people actually gave a shit about. Right. And were actually watching. Right. Um, and so, you know, on one hand, it was like agonizing every week because we'd look at the numbers and it was like three people in Arkansas watched our show.
0: Right. <laughs> on the other hand.
1: <laughs> It was like,
0: gave you freedom. It
1: gave us to- freedom to do yeah. like all kinds of like crazy stuff. And that's a great most first of that situation. stuff did not work. And yeah. some of the stuff did work. Right. But it was always like fun and exciting to try.
0: I love it. I think that's great. I have to say, so everyone knows, so Chad, we do this. Uh, so Chad and I are two of the four speakers for TV Writers Summit, the other two being Ellen Sandler and Troy DeVoid. And we do a pitch night, and Chad is like mind blowing in this pitch night. Like how he can take a pitch and just like turn it around in seconds and th- say, "This is what you're supposed to do." So when it, uh, so to my next question, when it comes <laughs> to pitching in the room, what are some of the gold nuggets that you've learned to doing this? Like how has it become just so natural for you?
1: Um, I don't know that it's so natural right. for me. I. Uh, to be honest, i I get really nervous when I go in pitching shows. Um,
0: I like that honesty. Well, I, I will does. say one of the
1: things yeah. that I think I do very wrong, right. and then I'll get to some things that I think I do <laughs> right. well and some gold nuggets. <laughs> right. But I think one of the things I do very wrong is I over prepare, right. and that is not to say don't prepare. Right. But on the pitches that I have pitched that have gone the worst, right, they usually have gone the worst because you know, I've, I know my characters right. and I probably actually memorized what I've written about them Right. and I've broken my story and I've memorized that. And when I go in to pitch the show and the characters and the world and the story, instead of just telling people the story and who these people are, in my head, I'm thinking about what I've memorized and I'm thinking, okay, what comes next? And then comes this part and then comes this part. And so it's like, it's like. You know, when you're pitching, you never want to be reading off pages in front of you. Right. But even though I don't have pages in front of me, I'm reading off pages in right. my head as yeah. opposed to just, you know, telling I was— Telling f- a story. Telling a story. Yeah. And I always feel like when you're in pitching mm-hmm. um, and you're telling them about characters, right, instead of reciting from whatever you've memorized, you should be telling— Like, if I'm pitching you stories about characters, it's like I should be telling you— about friends. I I always imagine it like this. Imagine um, you are setting up your best friend on a blind date. And imagine I'm telling you, Jen, that I've got this great guy named uh, Bob that I want to set you up with. Right. And I'm telling you about him. What I'm not going to say is, uh, so Bob works in real estate and he is very fun. I'm going to be like, Jen, you got to meet this guy, Bob. Okay, wait, let me tell you. Last night, we went out for drinks, and we're right. sitting there, and the waitress right. comes up to us, and she <laughs> says, what can I get you? And Bob turns to her and says, sit on my lap and I'll tell you. And I'm like, Bob, that is disgusting. So it's like, you know, you're going to tell yes. the stories that bring this person to life yes. and make your friend yes. say, oh my I God, I've got to meet this guy. Yeah. And that's what you're doing in a pitch. Yeah. Um. So I guess bringing that around to a yeah. golden nugget, for me, the one of the gold nuggets of pitching, and this is how I always get into a pitch, is you've got to make it intensely, intensely personal. Right. Um, and so I usually begin with some very personal anecdote or story or something very personal about my life. Right. Um, I pitched a show that and I you had- And
0: connect connected to the concept. And then I connected yeah. to the concept. So like
1: yeah. a couple years ago, I had sold a pilot to 20th Century Fox. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a family comedy about – it was a family comedy about a couple – that a married couple that had two kids mm-hmm. but their kids had grown up to be exactly the kids you would not want your kids to grow up to be like right. they were not terrible people but right. they were fuck-ups in like every way can i say that can yes, i swear on you so they so had well. grown up to be fuck-ups in every way right and so this couple decides that they're going to adopt two new kids right. in order to make up for all the mistakes <laughs> that they had screwed up with the first kids right And when I first went out to pitch that with Jen and Dana, my execs at 20th, I began that pitch. And by the way, this pitch, if you'd been in the room with me, this pitch was a perfect example of a pitch that I had way – overly memorized and was concentrating too much on right. reciting what was in my head as opposed to just telling the story. Right. Um, but the pitch always began by me talking about my wife Kelly and we had just had our first baby. Right. And I talked about how, you know, before we had this baby, right, Kelly and I would talk about and make lists of all the things that we wanted to do as parents. Like we're gonna read to him every night before bed. And once we have a kid, we'll always eat dinner together at the dining room table and he's not gonna watch any TV until until he's at least two years old. And once he's two, he's only watching 15 minutes a day. Right. And then you have a kid.
0: It, and it all goes out the window. <laughs> it
1: all goes out the window because at night you just want to get him in bed and you right. are like too tired to read to him. And right. we, you know, it was like dinner at the dining room table. The dining room table is covered with mail. You know, right. we eat on the couch like we used to and he sits in a bumbo on the floor <laughs> right. and and not watching TV. Like we said, he wasn't going to watch any TV until we saw what it's like to have a kid watch TV because <laughs> they just stare at the screen and they right. don't cry. They don't move. Right. You, could go, you could go to dinner and see a movie and come back five hours later. He's still going to be sitting there watching whatever's on TV. <laughs> right. And so that was my – and then I would get into – so right. now we always say like, oh, my God. Now that I we've gone through it. this once, we wish we could – Do it again again. to do it all right. So this is a show about parents who get a second chance, and they're going to adopt these kids. So I use that very personal truth to get into the fictional story.
0: I love it. I think that is fantastic. Bravo.
1: Can I I also just say uh, thank you for those nice things you said about me tweaking people's pitches? Right. But I feel like when I'm hearing pitches, one of the big mistakes I hear people do is they come up – with some and they pitch some big high concept thing like this is about aliens that come to earth disguised as humans so they can take us over or whatever and one of them falls in love and eventually as you're listening I find that usually you find some nugget of something that seems very personal and right. what I usually do is latch on to that right and say that's your way in pitch it like this and I I often find that once you're able to help people find their personal way in yes the rest is gravy because right. Once, as a pitcher, you're able to get your audience of executives or producers or whoever to see the world through your emotional lens. Right. Everything after That's 80% of your job. Everything after that is.
0: You know, that is the gift. I think when you, when you point out the personal and say this is your way in, you, you create comfort because they understand the personal because that is their truth. Yes. Moving through. Yeah. So, no, I think that is fantastic. In looking at all the jobs that you have had in television working as a writer, what would you say, like if you think about what you thought a writer would be before you did these staff situations, what would you say are some of the surprises and some, maybe some of the perks and some of the minuses with working as a writer in television?
1: Well, I think one of the surprises that I feel like I have learned and am still learning. Right is when you get a job as a writer on a staff, your job is not to be a writer. Your job is to be support staff for the showrunner. Right. And yep. I think a lot of writers, especially young writers, but. Honestly, I've seen this happen with EPs as well. Right. They get a job and they think, my job is to go in there and fucking kill it, be a rock star, right. be the best writer, come up, you know, j- my job is to save the show or right. help steer the show. That is not even close write to your it job. How I want or write it how be. I want it. Or write it how I want it. That is not even remotely close to what Your job is simply to go in there and help the showrunner make the show that he wants to make. Or she. Or she. Or she. <laughs> or she. Uh that that's your yes. job and you know what I've been on staffs where I fit in perfectly right. and right. got that and I've been on shows where even though I knew that was my job I was bad at th- doing that for whatever reason Yeah. Um,
0: I think it's hard though for the artist's mind to finally get the situation of a lifetime where they get their first job or their second job or their third job to not be able to use their voice to the extent that they desire to I think I think it's it's a discipline so I, it I absolutely you know, is a discipline. It, it is absolutely like you have to learn
1: it and you know what not every writer can write every show right um, I remember teaching a class once a couple years ago and one of the guys in the class raised his hand I can't remember what we've been talking about at the moment and he said but don't you think that the best writers are the best writers because they can write anything? And I said, no, not even remotely close. Right. I don't believe that Edgar Allan Poe could have written uh, Jane Eyre. Right. You know, I don't believe that Charles Dickens could have. Actually, I think Charles Dickens could have written anything. I (laughs) love him. I think he could have written anything. But I think the most brilliant writers are brilliant because they write one thing better than anyone else has ever, ever written it. Right. Um. Breaking Bad is like maybe the best show in the history of television. Right. I don't believe that Vince Gilligan could go right on Two and a Half Men. Right. You know? And of what course. makes him brilliant is because Vince Gilligan knows what he does and he does it better than anybody else. Right. And he writes that. I totally agree. Um, and so you're – so sometimes you're just not on the right show for yeah. whatever reason. Um.
0: And it's okay to be fired because being fired is a rite of passage. Oh, my God. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's
1: been fired yeah. <laughs> a million times. A million times. All
0: part of the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: and I, I find that I've I've been fired twice. Right. And usually when you get fired in a weird way, it's a little bit of a relief because it wasn't – you knew inside it wasn't a match. Exactly. It's like breaking up with somebody that you knew wasn't your soulmate. Yep. Um. But you things... needed
0: a kick in the tush because you weren't going to do it yourself. You're not going
1: to do it yourself because you want a job and <laughs> yeah. it's paying you and you need that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've been on shows where I wasn't the right fit for it, but I loved the people I was working with and my yeah. showrunner, you know. And in those situations, it's it's hard and it's easy to leave because yes. it's like you're leaving people you love, but you're also leaving behind something where you, you know it's not the right the fit. fit. It's not the right and fit. And that's okay. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's, I love when people talk about. I love to thank you for that. I love when people are honest and say, yes, I've been fired. Yes, this is what it's like. Because it's all part of it. Yeah. Nothing to fear with it. It's all part of being working in this town.
1: Can I say one other thing? Of like course. a plus that's about being on a, yeah, on a staff yeah, yeah, that yeah. I don't think you always realize until you're there. Right. Is that unlike when you're sitting at home writing your specs or your screenplays by right. yourself and you're just hoping that it's good and maybe it's good and maybe it's not. When you're writing on a staff, you know, you're going to get assigned your script and you're going to go away for a week or two to write it. But you have this whole team of writers to help you. So yes. you can bounce into someone's office and say, can I talk to you for 10 minutes? I'm having trouble with this. Or right. you can go ask your showrunner and say, does this part work or this isn't working? Right. Uh, and doing that is, I, I wrote on a show uh, last year called Dog with a Blog. Right. And I would I write my, title. <laughs> um, when I was off writing my scripts. Right. One of the things that always gave me comfort when I was like, oh, this script is sucking. I'm not hitting it. I know it's not. Is I would think like, well, I know I've got like nine other awesome writers here who are going to help make this good. I love it. And you don't have that when you're sitting at home writing.
0: Right. I love it. No, that, see, that's good for all writers to be aware of. The plus of working in TV. Um, Okay. So jumping into, I have to tell you guys, like you can see I have a million dog ears in the book that I read of Chad's. Yeah, I think those are all so pages we're... with
1: typos. So.
0: <laughs> so no. So we are going to get into this book because I am so excited. And we were going to give you highlights that are going to make you know that you have to go out and buy this book. Um, so starting with, what inspired you to write this book?
1: I feel like what inspired me to write this book, I have an agent and I... I love her. We get along great. She does an awesome job for me.
0: Lindsay Howard, yes, at APA, at
1: APA and she's fantastic. And yeah. she's an awesome agent. I still have questions about how to deal with right. my agent. You know, right? Lindsay's a very good friend. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh my god, she's a good friend, but how do I tell her if I'm unhappy about something? Or here's a job. There have been times I've really wanted a certain job. Right. And. You know, I was like, I know it's not a job that she would necessarily think is the best career mover that she would right. want me to take. And I'm like, how do I tell her that? Or, right. You know, just a, an agent-client relationship is sometimes tricky to navigate. So, And I have friends who, you know, are constantly complaining to me about their agents or saying, you know, I got this job on my own. Why am I paying my agent 10%? Or my right. agent doesn't do anything. Or I sent my agent my script and instead of sending it out, he's just noting me on it. Like, I don't need his notes. I need him to sell it. Um, And so I think a lot of writing this book came out of there were questions I had and things I wanted to know and things I didn't understand about how agents work or how their relationships with buyers and clients are supposed to work. So in a way, I wrote this book uh, not to help writers out there get their (laughs) questions answered, but to help me get my questions answered.
0: Through doing the research. And then you thought you'd share it. (laughs) And then
1: I thought I would share it. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, thank God you did. Um, you know, and the funny thing is, like, in, in when I was an assistant uh, to Aaron Spelling, I talked to him about writing a book like this. And he said, I'll write the foreword. And I said, you know, there's no book. But, of course, my angle and my lens at that time was really going into current programming versus mm-hmm. development, mm-hmm. how writers get staffed through that process. And he... In, and then, I mean, agents wouldn't even consider it. There were, like, two books out. It was, like, Robert McKee's and, you know, some other, and maybe Chris Vogler's book out, and, and but so rare. And so they were, they the agents were all saying, no, it's such a limited audience, the entertainment business. Like, nobody cares, and blah, 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 blah. So when I went into your book and I started going through all the things, I'm like, okay. Like, Chad just nailed it because he just like breaks down what this town is, what's involved in going from being a non-working writer to a working writer, and really just goes into all the details of what to expect on the journey, which I think the biggest fear most people have in coming to Hollywood is not knowing what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the gift of your book is this is what you can expect. You know, this is, it's not going to be bells and whistles. You're not going to get an agent, and then everything's going to be perfect. And and this is what you have to know, and this is what you have to do. And, and the interesting thing is how to manage your agent is, is really the idea, too, of how you are a partner totally. with your agent in your own destiny. So that it's not... Just like, as you said, most most writers are like, oh, my God, my agent, this, my agent, that blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, what are you doing to contribute to this destiny? (laughs) Totally.
1: I mean, I feel when I look back over my career, uh, most of the jobs I've gotten have come to me. I get them on my own or they right. come to me through a connection that I've made. Now, that doesn't mean my, my agent does a ton. Right. Sometimes I call her and I say, hey, my friend just got a show picked up. Can right. you get me in there? Or, hey, I just I'm I just got a job offer. Will you look over this contract or can you get me more money? Right. Um, but I think it's important for writers to remember your agent only owns 10% of your business. Mm-hmm. The rest, the 90, the other 90% is owned by you, and it's your responsibility. So it's like for every 10 meetings you get, nine of them should be you getting them on your own. I love it. Um, That's great. And I think that's really important. And look, my agent – Whenever I meet somebody new, if I meet another writer, if I meet a showrunner, if I meet an exec on my own, right? the first thing I do is I email Lindsay, my agent, and I'm like, right. hey, I met so-and-so, yeah. uh, hey, so-and-so and I are having lunch next week, and I keep her in the loop, because yeah. that's all ammo for her I love it. to use, that she needs to use. Yeah, and um,
0: writers need to understand how to do that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Uh, how did you decide what you wanted to cover in this book? Because I... I, I had to admit, like, there were times during reading it that I thought, this encompasses so much more than just managing your agent. I remember when I first saw you and I said, Chad, this is a big book for how to manage your agent. It, and and you really cover, like, the realm of what, – what made you know what you wanted to cover?
1: Well uh, – Or did it keep just growing? It, did, it kept growing, growing you, because one of the yeah. things I found as I was writing it was – you know, agents agents navigate so many different parts mm-hmm. of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, I started out n- with a certain idea of what I wanted to cover in this book. Actually, a pretty crystal clear idea of what I wanted to cover in this book. Right. But then as I got into it, it was like, how do I explain how agents navigate through this part of Hollywood if people don't know what this part of Hollywood even looks like? Right. So it was like, how do I explain how agents help their writers navigate staffing season without first explaining to writers what staffing season is? Right. How do I help um, explain to writers how – Feature agents find financing for movies if I don't first explain, at least a little bit, what financing a movie means and what it entails. Right. And so, as I was going through it, it just felt like in order to (laughs) show people how agents navigate this world, you first have to lay out a map of the world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what you do. Like, that's why I almost feel like it's like a— It's like a Hollywood handbook or it's like an encyclopedia for the entertainment industry. I mean, it's like it's just like this book that just like answers everything that you would ever imagine, which I think is just fantastic. And and I have to admit, yeah, no, I I really I'm I'm very excited to see what happens with this. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, So part of your journey like I love that you had all these questions and you were going through all this stuff so it started with that in meeting all these people that you interview in this book and everyone should know like Chad deals with the top people who are running this town in in this book and getting their input What was that like? Awesome. Like, like, I was going to say, like, you are so— It was awesome. Strongly connected with some of the top players. It was
1: awesome, and, I mean, I—it was great. Like, I interviewed CEOs of big four agencies, and most of them would not go on the record. Mm -hmm. You know, so they were like, listen, you can use my quotes anonymously, or here's just information you can use. I mean, I interviewed— amazing people right. who, while their names may not be in there, their right. information and their quotes and their there. insights are. Yeah. Um, but agents are not typically a group of people who like to go on record saying right. things. I think it was- I a, was
0: surprised with the ones who would give their names. I was like, wow, yay. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think was it- um,
0: Joel Baglider and David Boxerbaum. Those guys Bond. are in there. Yeah.
1: But I can't remember if it was Ed Lomato or or who it was- might have been Ari Emanuel. I can't even remember, but some very big famous agent at one point said that uh agents should never be more famous than their clients. Yeah.
0: That's why I hear it. CAA yes. has that belief. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so a lot of agents yeah. you know don't want to go on record saying things. Unfortunately you know, the people who are in this book were very generous. Right. Um in, you know, giving
0: This is educational. It's informative. It, of yeah. course they yeah.
1: Y- yeah. And and also they're they're friends and so yeah. I trust them and they trust me and right. um
0: I couldn't believe how many they're... people I knew. It was so wild. I was like, <laughs> Oh my god, like I I love it. The... oh, I think it's so great um so okay so tell us there are a few things that i want to highlight yes just little tidbits that you can give us on some of these things and people can go get the book to find out more so starting with the biggest question how please share some of the tips about how writers can go about getting agents and managers
1: okay um I think there are three main ways, like three really good ways that you're going to get an agent or a manager. And as I say, these half the writers out there are going to hate every one of them. Right. Um, I think the first and best way to get an agent or manager is through your own relationships. Put yourself in a position where you are meeting agents and managers. You know, be a writer's assistant on a TV show, or the or an executive's assistant, or work at an agency. Um, But you know, agents get literally thousands of unsolicited queries and submissions a week from wannabe writers who need an agent. And every single one of them goes into the trash or gets deleted without even being read. And so in order to not have that happen to you, you need to have some kind of edge. So first of all, knowing the agents personally is probably one of the best ways to get an agent. When I when I got my agents at APA, at the time I was working as an exec at the Littlefield mm-hmm. Company, and had just created a reality show that we sold to Style Network, mm-hmm. and it had been picked up to series, and I was flopping over from being an executive from being an executive at the Littlefield Company to producing that show with Warren and the showrunners who we had hired to run that show, right. And I called three different agents who I knew at different agencies, just people who I really who I worked with through Littlefield as an exec and I really liked. And I said, I think I'm going to need an agent. Are you interested? Could I meet with you? And I ended up picking, um, going into to meet with APA, and there were a bunch of agents there. And the one guy, Tom, who was the guy I had called, was in the meeting. But Lindsay, who was in that meeting at the time, was a very young, brand-new agent. She and I just instantly clicked. Love it. And so I just started working with her instead of Tom. But the point is I just used my own relationships and made those calls and I had very good rapport and friendship with those people. Um, the uh, the second probably best way to get an agent is uh, – you know, I'm going to say these three ways and I'm, I'm gonna, they're all kind of probably equal depending on the situation. So I don't right. necessarily want to rank them. Right. But I think they're ranked in the book and I actually just can't remember my ranking. <laughs> Um, But the second best, probably best way to get an agent is through referrals. Right. Um, That is how most agents get most of their clients. And there are three types of referrals that are really going to do it for you. The first and probably best referral to an agent is through one of their clients already. So if you are friends with somebody, with a writer who is represented by Agent Joe at WME or Agent Bob at Paradigm or wherever – if you're friends with somebody who's a client there and they can refer you, that's a huge referral. First of all, because the agent already respects that person's taste, and so they're going to think, oh, well, whoever they recommend is going to have good taste. Um, but also, they want to keep their clients happy, and so that referral is going to move to the top of the stack. Second great referral is if you can get a referral through an, exe- through an executive or through a producer, somebody who is a buyer. Because if a buyer is referring you to an agent, that p- agent knows you already have fans who are eager or hopeful to do business with you and buy your material or hire you. Right. And I would say the third best uh, referral is through another representative. Now, you're not going to get an agent at UTA to recommend you to an agent at ICM. But for instance, if you have a manager, a manager works very closely with agents and he could recommend you to... Anybody
0: Um, who has a personal relationship, who has a credible job in the entertainment business. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because relationships are key.
1: The relationships are key. Yeah. And I feel like the third best way to get an agent is to... Oh, I get,
0: thought the third best way No, no, was, that's the okay. third best
1: referral, Jen. The third best referral. <laughs> okay. Way number one to get an agent is through your own relationship. Okay. Two is referral, and three is get your own job.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: And once you have your own job, every agent in town is going to come agree. to you. And people are – I know everyone out there is like, well, I how love. am I supposed to do that? Yeah. But the truth is most it – it, it, it usually has. happens. I feel like most first-time staff writers get their jobs – by being a writer's assistant and getting yeah. bumped up. Yeah. And once that happens to you, or if you're a writer's assistant on a show where the showrunner's known for promoting his assistant, you are going to have agents beating down your yeah. door.
0: There that is one setup for that scenario. Another setup, you're best buddies with somebody who's an executive producer's assistant and you get it in that way. Totally. Another setup is you are you you meet a young, hungry CAA, UTA, William Morris Endeavor agent who are someone who's on the verge of becoming an agent and who is dying to prove that they can spot talent, they can get you in there. So it, it, I think that that, again, comes down to going to events, making relationships, when, when I think friendships are a huge part of this business. So I, I think it is the recognition. I always say to people also things like when you, uh, at I can say from working at a studio for 15 years, one of the biggest gatekeepers for writer's assistant jobs and, and production assistant jobs is the VP of production's assistant. Totally. So I say, totally you know, that's the gatekeeper. They hear about those jobs first. Yeah. Like befriend that person. Cold call them. Tell them who you are. Tell send them your resume. They want to find great people. Yeah. So I'm all about. I love your third. I love all three, but I especially love your third. Get your own job. That I think that is great. Okay. So going into the showrunner thing, I love. So and you may not know this, but so and I, I'm putting Chad on the spot because Uh-oh. he gave so many lists and ranking. You don't need to rank. Just any three. Of the top seven ways to ace a showrunner meeting?
1: All right. Um, okay, this is me thinking. I'm, I'm, I don't know which of these are in my list because I don't remember the list, but here are my top three right now. One is know the freaking show that you're going in to meet on. Right. You know, if it's a show that's been on the air for a year or two, watch as many episodes as you can. You know, so you know the characters and you know the types of stories that it tells. And the, is it a hard joke show or is it a more character driven comedy? You know, mm-hmm. know the show Great. inside and out. I feel like so many young writers go into a show and they've watched like one episode of the show. That is not a fraction of the number of episodes you need to have watched. You need to know this show and know the showrunner, know what else they've done, know what they've worked on. Um, so that is number one. I would say number two is. And I don't mean this in a cheesy way, but like go in and relax and be yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I feel like I know that I have gone into meetings where I've wanted the job so badly. You go in and you're going in and you're trying to impress. Yeah. And those meetings inevitably fail miserably. Yeah. Um, Because you're really going in for a first date to see Mm -hmm. if this person you're meeting with. And you to see if you are compatible, not only creatively, but, you know, when you're on a writing staff, you are going to sit in a room for 15 hours a day, five or six days a week. And you have to really like each other in order to do that. And so, yeah, you want to put your best foot forward, but you also just want to be you to see if you and this person sitting across from you are actually going to gel and work. Um. I would also say another good tip going into a showrunner meeting is aside from watching the show, or if it's a new show, reading the pilot, not once, not twice, but three or four times and really thinking about who these characters are and the kinds of stories that will be told on this show, before you go in, reread your own work um, so that it's fresh in your mind. Because... The showrunner called you in because he read something of yours that touched him or her in some special way. And they're going to ask you about it. They're going to ask you, where did you get the idea to write this? And they're going to want you to talk in a meaningful way about where you draw stories from and how you see the world in a unique and personal way. And rereading your own work
0: is how you do that. That is fantastic. I love it. I just want you guys to know, like, literally, I could ask Chad another 10 questions because there's that much information in the book, but I am going to have to narrow it down to two more questions, Uh, and I think I'm going to hit the questions that I think will interest people. Pay scale for writers in television.
1: So... Kind of a quick, broad overview. There are two— Love that. According to the Writers Guild, which is the labor union that represents and governs professional writers working in television and film and sometimes radio and sometimes new media, um, there are two types of TV writers, Article 13 and Article 14. Mm -hmm. Now, Article 13 writers are your lowest level of writers on a TV staff. Article 13 writers are considered pure writers, meaning they only write. They have no producing duties beyond writing. They are just paid to write. Article 14 writers are everything above And by the way, the, the bottom rung on the ladder, the hierarchy of staff writer positions is just called staff writer. Mm-hmm. The next level up is called story, write, story editor. Even though they're all writers on the staff, the bottom level is called staff writer. The next level up is called story editor. Once you get to story editor, once you're out of being a staff writer, you are considered Article 14. Mm-hmm. Article 14 writers are not quote unquote pure writers. They are considered writers who are also producers and have producing duties. Now, the difference in pay is Article 13 writers are paid simply to write. And so uh, –
0: They make a weekly, right? They
1: make a weekly rate. yeah. Write. yeah. I- I'm looking for the numbers, and the numbers aren't on page 100, but they're in this book somewhere. Oh, wait. Here, oh, they go. here it is. Here it is. It? Article 13. Article 13 uh, week-to-week writers. So, for instance, if you are picked up on a 20-week contract as a – staff writer lowest level writer you are paid a minimum of thirty seven hundred and twelve dollars a week and when i say minimum don't try to get more than that because nobody's going to pay you more than that i will also say there are actually different minimums for different kinds of television so so broadcast shows on abc fox cbs or mbc or the cw those writers because they're on broadcast shows they actually get paid slightly more than writers on cable shows and writers on cable shows there are different rates for the cable shows um so it's a little bit less than that once you move up to be an article 14 writer which means you have producing duties you're actually paid per episode not per week and on top of your episodic rate you are also paid for each script that you write
0: yes and that starts at story editor
1: that starts at story editor yes
0: great and then what would you say – let's see. So it could range – so essentially so writers can get it in their mind on uh, – a writer – a staff writer can make around 100000 a year on a – Assuming they work 22 for, episodes. Yeah. A plus a, I'd say – uh,
1: yeah, that's probably ballpark-ish right, yeah, good.
0: ballpark good. Um, yeah,
1: ballpark. But it's also important to remember when – I think when you hear that number 3700 a week, Right. you're like – and, and you also, depending on how long your contract is, you get, you know, they can pay you less if they pick you up for a longer time. Right. Um, but it's important to remember $3,700 a week sounds like great money. And it right. is great money. But it's important to remember that as a writer.
0: The percentage you're giving.
1: To, well, you're yeah. giving stuff to your agent manager, but also as a writer, look, you might be picked up for 20 weeks on this show where you're making $3,700 a week, but then you might not get picked up after that or the right. show could get canceled right. and you might not work for another year or right. two years or three years or you four years.
0: You miss and, staffing yep. season
1: or you don't get a job yep. or um, on cable, a lot of times they'll say to you at the end of the season, this happened has happened to me on cable shows. Yeah. They'll say you're picked up for another season, but we don't know when it's coming back. Right. And 10 months later, you're like, where's the show? And they're like, we're working on it. We're working on it. It's gonna come back, but we don't know when. And right. you're like Well, my money's almost gone. I got right. it. So that thirty seven hundred dollars a week, you have to learn to stretch
0: yes. that. And mid level can make onward and upward of three hundred to five hundred thousand, yes? Yeah, or that's yeah.
1: Probably yeah. fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um so there is lots of money to be made, but you have to do the work to yes. get there. Yes. And you have to save. Wisely, because you don't know what spurts
1: Absolutely. you're
0: going to be going without work. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. So I think for my last question, I would love for you to shine a light on the difference between an agent and a manager. So obviously, I think people in the industry know, but your experience, of have you've had both. Yes? Uh, Yes. Okay. So your experience, uh, if you were to do it in a nutshell, for someone who may not know or may not have a strong sense?
1: Well, first of all, there's one important legal difference between agents and managers. Agents must be licensed. Um, And and the uh, the requirements for being an agent vary from state to state. But in California, where most talent agents reside... Agents must be licensed. Um, Actually, any agent who is going to procure work for you, whether that is a talent agent in the entertainment industry or a headhunter trying to get you a finance job, if you're procuring work for people, you must be licensed. Um, Managers are not licensed. So managers, legally, technically, theoretically, are not allowed to procure work for clients. Um, And so managers' jobs, in theory, are to be more of a creative and business partner, to kind of architect their clients' long-term careers. And to, you know, I know managers who are very creatively involved with their clients. Their clients are working on a script and their managers will sit in the room with them for two, three, four, five, six hours going over jokes in the script and helping them break story. And an agent is never going to do that. Right. You know, most agents... Your agent will probably give you notes on your script, but most agents I know and interviewed for the book will say, I never want to read more than two drafts of a client's script. If I have to read more than two drafts of that client's script, I've lost interest in the script and probably the client. Right. Um, But a manager, you know, most managers read draft after draft after draft. So you will probably get much more personal attention from managers. Managers also tend to have smaller client lists than agents. Uh, an agent may have 60, 70, 100 clients on his list. Um, A manager may have only 20. So he's able to give them much more personal attention. Oh, another big difference. Since managers are not licensed and not able to procure work, one thing a manager is able to do that an agent is not legally able to do is produce work. Um, And that's that's because agents cannot, uh, it's actually not Technically, I guess, a legal difference. It's because of their contracts with the guilds and the unions that represent talent in Hollywood. But agents are not supposed to be owning uh, pieces of the work where they're also trying to staff people. Which Um, is
0: why so many agents become managers.
1: (laughs) It is why so many agents become managers. Aaron
0: Kaplan, prime example. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally.
1: And there are also lots of gray areas in in that world, you know, like – uh, you know, WME a couple years ago helped found and fund a venture capitalist right. firm called Rain. Right. And then just last year, Rain funded with like $200 million uh, the South Park guy's new television production company. Um which is really interesting. It's and not actually being funded by WME, but WME is partnered with Rain, which right. is so there's all kinds of
0: loopholes. Loopholes. <laughs> and
1: CAA, like CAA is funded, gets like a massive amount, 35% funded by the TPG group. Right. Which also owns Telemundo and right. all the Telemundo networks. So it's right. like, you know, there's all kinds of weird Ways little around. gray areas and conflicts <laughs> yeah. of interest and yeah. um Well, I
0: think that's what's so fascinating about your book is it gives such an inside look at this is how business is done in this town. Chad shares like how much an agent makes, which I love that and, and really gives you an insider's view of look at look at everything like you are managing. Not only are you managing your agent, you're managing your own career. So it's knowing everything that you should know about every position in town so that you are informed on how to create the career that you want to with your agent and all the while learning to manage the process.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I really kind of set out or wanted to write was Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. But instead of being about husbands and wives, it would right. be about clients and agents. Yes. And as I got into it, I mean, I think and well, hope that like I did. That. Well, it's like dating
0: anyway. It is
1: like dating. It is like dating. But I realized it's like you can't, you know, in order to to answer those agents are from Mars, clients are from Venus questions, you had, you know, you also had to kind of explain how Hollywood works from the agent's perspective.
0: Yes. And you got a lot of agents' perspective in there. Yeah. So this is gonna it it, it is a very inside look from managers, agents, lawyers. you You got Charles in Holland yeah. in there saying some really great stuff. So really, really terrific stuff. Highly, highly recommend. Uh, I think you should go out and get it like immediately. It's available on
1: Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. Barnes and Barnes Noble carries it in store, Book Soup writer's store all the usual places And you
0: have a book signing Oh yeah I've got some special up. events
1: coming up Um Okay so I do Okay so the first can I I'll just do it you,
0: okay. uh, you know what Chad is going to share all of his upcoming events
1: Okay So <laughs> the first upcoming event is on Saturday February 22nd Right. at 11 o'clock at 11 a.m. at the Writer's Store, and I'm doing a three-hour seminar called the Three-Hour TV MBA, great, which is kind of exploring how the television industry works, networks, studios, production companies, staffing season, pilot season, agents, managers, how it all fits together. You know, it's kind of a big-picture roadmap so you can figure out how to navigate. Um, and you can, if you just go to the Writer's Store.com website, it's got all the information. Um, a few days later... Wednesday, February 26th at uh, 7 o'clock p.m. at Book Soup here in Los Angeles. I have not only a book signing, but we're actually first going to do an hour. It's a panel of agents and managers. Yeah. Uh, and we've got fantastic people. Um, Zach Carlisle, who's a lit agent at Verve, uh, Will Lowry, who's an MP lit agent at APA, and Jeff Silverman, who's an agent at, or a manager at the cartel, are going to have a panel, and I'll be moderating, and we will be asking them. Really, we'll be asking them tough questions and getting back tough, blunt answers about how to get a manager, how to get an agent, how they can help you, how agents can't help you, Um, and then we'll have a book signing. And then, of course, that weekend, the first and second, uh, Jen and I will both be at the TV Writers Summit here in Los Angeles, which is an awesome event. It's like two days. The first day, we both lecture along with Ellen Sandler and Troy DeVold, and the next day... um, we have a bunch of workshops to help whip you into shape to be the best TV writer you possibly. It's, I will say, it is an awesome, it is a blast. It the two is days, it
0: incredible. Is you will learn so much in this two days.
1: Yeah, you will. It, you really will. Uh, it's fun to do, and I feel like everybody. Le- I mean, it's, it's a great. If if you want to be a TV writer, you should just be there.
0: And then we'll be in London.
1: And then we go to London April 5th or something like that, right? April 5th and 6th. The weekend
0: of April 5th and 6th. So we would love all the London listeners to please tell your friends and show up. And we can't wait to have you experience this event with us. It's going to be great. I love your events. I'm excited. Thanks, thanks. I'm going to be posting those on Facebook. Ooh, please do. Yeah, thank you. Please send me links. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to thank Chad Gervich so much for all of this incredible information. And I'm very excited to have him here as my guest. And I encourage you to share this podcast with other writers because I think the information is very important. And I encourage you to attend these events so that you are informed so that you can find all the success that you deserve in your career. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Now, are you? Before we started, Jen promised me that once we were all done, she was going to sing "Let It Go" from Frozen <laughs> on the podcast for all of you because she's done it for me and it's fantastic. And she swore that she would sing it on the podcast. <laughs> you are so. So funny. no, no, sing it because you were so. It sounded beautiful Trust upstairs. Me. I
0: just they do not oh. want to hear me sing. They do. You sounded great. <laughs> Simon Cowell would be like, (laughs) (laughs) you are so cute. I love that. Okay, well, that's a fun note to end on. Uh, So this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.